everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Stephanie Ellis. Uh, Beverly is spending some time with her family today and will be back with us next time. Um, today, we are talking to uh, Madeline, Madeline, Madeline. Madeline. <laughs> okay, Madeline uh, Swan. Um, I just had your damn book on the on my screen. Um, she's the author of, say the name, Madeline. The Sharp the End one. of the Rainbow. Yeah, the new collection, Sharp End of the Rainbow. Um, she is what I would call uh, a master of the surreal. Ooh, um, I like that. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we're talking to Madeline Swan, and um, she's also a Wonderland Award winner. The reason I bring that up, did you win or nominate? I was nominated. Nominated, right, right. Yeah. We will talk about that because those are dished out right here in my hometown. So um, I have a vested interest in that community. How are you in, are you in Portland? Yes. Yes, oh, I am. Oh, I loved Portland so much. Oh, my God, Portland. It's, it's, we, we got engaged there, me and my husband, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, we went to the uh, Bizarro Con. Uh-huh. Um you know the the weird fiction uh gathering and uh in the japanese gardens he proposed so oh. yeah oh. so i've got very fond memories of the place <laughs> i uh i love the i love those gardens up there are oh, beautiful um, they are beautiful yeah and you could just there's something about the trees like uh <laughs> in the pacific northwest you know you kind of know where it is like in a film or something like oh that looks like yeah, uh, yeah. Portland or something. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it is that you do if you're familiar with a place and you've seen a place, you can kind of see our our landscape in it if it's yeah. here somewhere. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, um, since I did such a great job of telling everybody about you, tell us about yourself, <laughs> Madeline. <laughs> well. Um... I have written some very strange things. <laughs> um, I plan to continue writing some very strange things. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I went to I went to Portland for the Bizarro Con. I think it was 2017, and read from um, Fortune Box. I read one of the stories in Fortune Box there and uh, which was with Eraserhead Press and I think it went down very well um I loved it and and then uh, what was the next thing I did oh uh the the 20s book which I'd never remember the titles of my own things it's, <laughs> I don't either <laughs> <laughs> the vine that ate the starlet which is a sort of surrealist uh crime type book which uh is set in a new york that's overrun by man-eating plants uh, in the <laughs> 1920s and uh, this is a new story collection and i'm actually working on a new book at the moment which i want to make into you know much longer the longest thing that i've done so far is the oh, book nice. that i'm working on right now so excellent excellent um <laughs> Oh, I thought Steph was going to say something. Oh, I, I am, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
Okay, I'm relatively new to reading sort of weird fiction, um, sort of bizarro type stuff. I'm not somebody who reads the extremes. Um, and it's mainly because there's been this, when people talk about bizarro, they seem to imply extremes all the time, but it's not that. So what is your definition of bizarro or weird fiction? And how would you encourage someone like me to read more in that particular genre? Oh, um, it's that's it's a really hard thing to put your finger on because um, I think the American stuff is slightly different to the British stuff. Again, you know, um, like yeah. we've got sort of slightly different points of references, and we've we've got like um, probably slightly more absurdist. Um, like uh, we have obviously. Um, a history in the UK was like Monty Python and just just really daft weird mm -hmm. stuff so we kind of maybe it's a bit more like that rather than extreme mm -hmm. so um, but yeah I like um, for me I I'm just inspired by the Russian absurdists and Leonora Carrington and Dorothy Parker and she's not weird but I do take mm -hmm. a lot of inspiration from her and uh, yeah, it's just all sorts of all sorts of things. I think it can mean so many different things that it's really hard to put your finger on. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't I try not to think too hard about it. I think it's, yeah. it's my thing. I I think I kind of you know when I look at bizarro because I'm like step. I have to, it takes a lot for me to read extremes. Um, and what basically it takes a damn good storyteller. Um, and I'll read anything. Yeah. Um, um, just read a, a vampire romance novel recently, and I you could have never told me I'd like that fucking thing. But, <laughs> um, um, but uh, <clears throat> Bizarro kind of, I think of Bizarro kind of like, okay, well, there's John Skip's Bizarro, and then there's Madeline Swans, and then there's Carlton Mellick's, and then mm -hmm. there's Danger Slayers, and, you know, I mean, because... Every single bit of Bizarro I've read is just kind of its own undefinable thing, really. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and some of it is those guys and, that I've mentioned and girls um, are people that I've read that I could I could relate to their words because they told good stories as well as, mm. you know. Um, so, but yeah, if you ask me define Bizarro fiction, I'd call it oh, you know, it's a really weird type of fiction that can't yeah. be defined as anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically, I, um, you know, I, I just, um, I try and sort of push things further than like, um, I don't know, people like Gogol, you know, and I'm just, re I'm really into like the Russians. Uh, I, I enjoy their stuff. Um, Daniel Harms is one of my favourites and his stories are just like um, really tiny and mm -hmm. um, they're just so like out there like people must have read them and thought what has happened to my brain if, if something <laughs> makes my brain crackle with excitement and I can feel it sort of being mm -hmm. stretched in different directions in ways that I didn't expect then that to me is exciting so, I say, so when you when you were a child, obviously things that were a bit absurd or strange or different appealed to you. What's your early earliest memory of being 
um, attracted to this sort of area? Well, I, I, the earliest, I suppose, is when I was about eight, I read Alice in Wonderland, which obviously is a classic. But that mm-hmm. was really the, the first time that I thought, you can be weird in writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it just really sent me off on like yeah. this whole journey, uh, starting with that book. You know, I just remember after reading that, and um, writing all these stories that were just ridiculous. And like, I'm sure if I looked at them now, I'd think these are the chipperings of a, you know, a mad woman. But um, I was just a kid and I was, I was writing this really weird, surreal, daft stuff and making myself laugh. And I don't think any of like, the rest of my class found any of it funny, but it didn't matter. I found it funny, so that was... <laughs> It's the, but it's the mark of a good storyteller, I think, is that they just say, screw you and do what they want to do anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like I just matter. read uh, Bob Mortimer's book, who I don't know. If, I don't think Vic and Bob are particularly big in America. I don't think. Do you know who Vic and Bob are? Mm-mm, I no. don't. Do, do you know Stephanie, Vic and Bob? Yeah, it's Steph, by the way. Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, um, when I'm getting told off. Vic and Bob, yeah. Is Bob Mortimer doing the um, fishing thing at the moment? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Cool White House. This, is, this is confusing that, Shane completely, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Vic and Bob, you know, again on, on TV, obviously not writers, but they have, I just remember watching that as a kid and thinking, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> it's just completely bizarre and weird and out there. Yeah, I was going to say, reading your stories in that collection, the one thing I, well, not the one thing, but part of it was there is that clear sense of humour in your writing, which really takes the edge off um, things for me. You know, so I can can read it and I'm quite happy reading that sort of work because there is this element of humour and it's not really dark dark to the extent other works that I've heard of you know I think oh I can't read that but reading yours even if there is something dark in there there is that sort of odd edge to it that I really enjoyed in that yeah thank you that's what that's kind of what I think like um have very dark things happen I, I like I think my I think my um I nearly said my aesthetic and then I thought what is that so pretentious ignore that <laughs> Um, I think my thing is just to have like um, like maybe things that are uh, I don't know cute or fluffy or you know um, sweet seeming and then just can ruin it. <laughs> like like goodness. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, you're you're muted. Shane. He's muted, is he? Yes. Sorry about that. That's a frequent occurrence with me. Um, That's the very first, very first mistake I ever made on a podcast was to talk to my window and have everybody wondering what the hell I was doing. (laughs) Had my back to the camera and my microphone off. so and uh, and with that i forgot what i was saying anyway so oh i just said i like that approach (laughs) (laughs) 
cute and fluffy so, and, and ruin it. Yeah. yeah so, so what was the inspiration for the kitten necklace? What made you come up with that particular oh, fashion accessory? Um, I'd love to know myself because um, that, that, um, that particular tiny short um, I'm really proud of. But I think essentially I, I do like sort of avant-garde weird fashion and um, I just like to think of bizarre fashion things that, that people could wear, you know, um, like I'll just I'll watch like I'll, uh, loads of fashion things and and uh, be interested in in uh, designers that do do sort of more unusual things. So it's just a general interest of mine, but obviously they won't be wearing kitten necklaces on any real runways I hope not anyway but. I was gonna say the one thing I thought of um for the kitten necklace is actually what would you do if they had fleas it'd be a very itchy necklace wouldn't it yeah but it could create even more visual stimuli if the uh, the model is also scratching perhaps right. <laughs> <laughs> has little red bumps all over yeah, yeah. <laughs> cosmetic yeah. Yeah, cause, yeah cause that that particular story. I just wondered if it was a reaction to those stories that you see in the press of the latest model star, and they've got a poodle or something in a bag slung over their shoulder. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was wondering if it's like that sort of accessory, but taken to a, a further yeah. extent. Yeah. I mean, it partly people. is, but like I can't deny I do love avant-garde out there fashion. Mm -hmm. so the weirder the better, you know. That like Iris von Herpen and what's the, the Chinese lady who did the yellow dress you know I just like I like weird stuff <laughs> <laughs> would you wear that weird stuff oh yes I oh, would <laughs> love to wear that weird stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah um if you uh read through Madeline's uh um twitter feed you'll you'll see some of her outfits she has some wonderful outfits <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about your, because I know I'll forget to ask about this, um, you have an interest in, um, in the 20s, um, style, the flapper era. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very, sorry, I'm just very interested in, um, the eras, um, you know, fashion again, and literature, like, um, when I think of uh, doing well as a writer, for me, it's like um, in New York with the Algonquin people. I know they didn't do a lot of work and it was mostly hanging around. Oh, what's that? I got an echo. Yeah. Is that me? Oh. I'm quiet here. Is that me doing it? Oh. I think it stopped. Yeah. <laughs> okay like um the algonquin group or the writers and artists in in paris at the time you know it, it just seems like a it seemed like a very vibrant era but for art and writing and weimar as well but of course there's a real dark underside to it mm -hmm. like everyone was um traumatized after the first world war and there was also 
you know in, in Germany some stuff happening mm-hmm. so it's it's so it's it's a fascinating it's just it fascinates me there was a lot going on so um yeah I like I like reading uh the writing from the era and the art and so on it it interests me sorry <laughs> I got distracted <laughs> I saw a butterfly <laughs> Sorry, I was um, listening, listening, watching one of your videos earlier. You were actually colouring in um, someone's brain, I think, and there was a a flea or or something there. Yeah. You were talking about things in in general, about um, exposed videos and the emotions that people put out on on social media. Mm -hmm. And I think you've reflected some of that in the stories that you've written in this collection is mm. is that deliberate like in in typhoid and Anya you've got there's this whole wanting to be seen but also yes. it doesn't matter how you seen how you're seen in a way because you're putting all sorts of stuff out there just to get a reaction and yeah we've also got Terry's Terry's not a writer and that ties in with an element of the the free speech and me too but it takes it to an extreme yeah. So it's sort of deliberate you, you take these social issues and you put them in your stories. Mm. Yeah, I try. I I think that um the a, a lot of the issues that we have at the moment is that, you know, a lot of people are alone, that people are lonely, they're maybe not connecting with each other in the like physically, but the way that people connect with each other is online and it can be wonderful. It's got a lot of good going for it. Um but there's also like a real troubling side. And once you've experienced, like speaking from personal experience, when you put an opinion out there, you you never quite know what it is that's going to annoy certain people. Like the first time I experienced it was talking about, um, they changed the Hugo Award statue from the Lovecraft uh Head mm-hmm. to something else and I was just I think pretty much all I said was I'm a I am a fan of Lovecraft but it was time for a change you know mm-hmm. um all this other stuff about Lovecraft you know um <laughs> we can't really sort of ignore that and it was like my first ever taste of like a huge well huge for me not not for people who are online a lot but a big sort of backlash of these mm-hmm. fans who were just huge well they said some really awful things actually mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's and so it's great for connecting um and I do really sort of champion online and um I don't agree with complaining about people being on their phones because you are talking to somebody if you're mm-hmm. on your phone yeah whether they're there or physically or not but there is this and it can it it can kind of get addictive as well this uh experience of communicating with with people but when you do get so much negativity back you like at what point do you say okay I need a break now you have Mm -hmm. to be able to say to yourself I have to have a break it's too much because I'm, you know, unfortunately, no one's going to do it for you, and it's yeah. actually incredibly stressful. 
So um, it's it's just like a, a push pull thing that everybody has to go through if you want to be having any kind of opinion online. You know, right? It's uh, it's not always easy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of knowing knowing when to check out of a conversation too is yeah. super important. Um, yeah. I I checked right out of that Lovecraft conversation. Um. <laughs> yeah. I had to after a while. Um, I was I was involved in it, but yeah, they they got downright abusive with people oh, over some oh, stuff. They really, yeah, they really they really did. Yeah. But you kind of um, you kind of you, you tell yourself, but no, clearly they didn't they didn't uh, hear what I was trying to say. I was trying to explain right. it in a better way, mm-hmm. perhaps. So, but yep. they aren't interested. Some people just aren't interested. No. Some people it could change their mind and that's great and I think if you want to keep trying then do that but you have to give yourself a cut off point mm-hmm. to just to preserve your own sanity really it, yes it's hard to know you know really... I think a lot of people out there are actually just on some sort of power kick so you know they shout loudly yeah. and they yeah. just want to beat you into submission yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think it's probably people who might feel a little bit inadequate in their own lives and so they take it out online because there's there's no yeah. real consequences to to their actions mm-hmm. no there, there was uh, something yeah. there was something today i can't remember where i read it or heard it but there's a study of people or younger people now because there's so much online they've lost natural empathy because they're not reading the body language of other people and because that empathy is gone Mm. And then views are more polarized, and then it feeds into everything else, and it's yeah. quite yeah. quite a sad way. So when you say, "Yeah, you're still talking to people on the phone," yes, you are, but you've also lost something. You've lost that connection that helps you read what other people really think. Yeah, that is true. I, I as a rule, I try to, I try to stick to, if this person was in front of me, would I say? what I'm about to say um, because we're, it's it's really easy to um, like the letters that uh, someone that you were house sharing with like if they wrote you a letter saying you used all my butter you you know <laughs> it's all very well to write all these things in a letter but would you you know would you say these things if you just had a conversation mm-hmm. in front of each other and so I do yeah obviously that you know there are people who <laughs> just don't have respect for you know talking to to someone I mean particularly when you get into like major issues you know which uh you know which affect us like trans issues and and so on like there are people that just won't give them or anyone any respect you know so Mm -hmm. um I and yeah but I mean the flip side to that coin is there are people who have like me who have zero filters and won't give any respect back to those people you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're the I ones mean, some people you just, yeah not gonna listen they're not gonna listen mm-hmm. and it's been a long and difficult road for me to understand that as long as I'm trying to be supportive I don't have to argue with Mm-mm. all these uh strange people I can just <laughs> you know cut them out and and carry mm-hmm. on <laughs> yeah try to keep the positivity in the conversation yeah. Yeah. um it's easy to recognize a witch hunt and, and um 
which is what I think of those situations like that and stay out of them, you know, um, unless you have a vested interest in that conversation, you know, there are times when you do need to open your mouth, but anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. I digress. When the, what, the other aspects of that that I'm not too keen on is so if somebody makes a mistake and then they apologize, there's, I think there was a, a tweet earlier, uh, there was a, a writer on there talking about this, that if somebody makes a mistake and apologizes, is that apology isn't accepted and they're still sort of beaten into the ground a bit. And then the way people do apologise these days, they sound just like those speeches that you hear in communist countries and where they've got, they're given a speech by a prepared speech that they've got to make to, you know, to apologise to the government or whoever. It just sounds very dictatorial and I don't like the way that that is going. I think, um, I think what what can happen so, you know I, I see this again and again is that um there are people who things like that just will not affect like they'll make an apology and be a bit sad for a bit and then come back and and it's like nothing happened and then they continue to do mm. the the things that they were doing and it just it just brushes off and yet people yeah. who are a bit more perhaps vulnerable like like it does tend to be sort of more minorities and so on will just really get like the sharp end of the stick you know like mm-hmm. people just do not forgive them like uh like um i see a lot of uh uh you know writers of color trans people etc who will write something that's perhaps uh not that positive or it has like a, a real dark edge to it or you know which the kind of stories that I like basically mm-hmm. um like transmuted by Eve Harms I liked that one loads um but there there'll always be there'll always be these reviews that say no trans person would ever write this and I think that's a really messed up thing to say like, it's it's like you're because it didn't make you comfortable you've decided that they aren't who they are and that's mm-hmm. really wrong it's wrong <laughs> it really is um i had a friend late recently who i won't name um who uh is a person of color and wrote a, a very well received novel um and a lot of people didn't didn't buy her version you know, so to speak. And but it was like she was she was writing about her culture and her neighborhoods and the places she grew up and what it was actually like. And they but it was but people thought it was too negative and too, you know, well, you should be talking about the real experience and blah, you know. And so I I detest that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's like it's it's your it's it's their culture, like it's their yeah. experience. Like, yeah. Just because people don't like it, like it's not, yay, good news. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you encounter it a lot, though. Um, if you if you have um neurodiverse issues or you're queer or mm-hmm. you know a, any number of different things, it's it's surprisingly um 
once I, when I started being more honest about myself online, I learned a really, really important lesson about what even the most woke of people can be like, you know, because they yeah. don't really, some people don't realize, don't recognize how they're being, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Any. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, if you think about the amount of individuals that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you could say one thing and then it's like um, you're, you're putting it out into the public. Like you really have to think about that. Like I'm not just sat in my armchair saying something mm-hmm. to my husband, you know, it's really like you're putting mm-hmm. it out into public and it's, it's exactly. quite a, a hefty thing to deal with really. Mm-hmm. Um yeah and it's kind of like i don't want i don't want to be that person who builds a persona online i'm not that guy you know i'm i guess i'm too old and jaded for it or something (laughs) i don't care um that's an important part of an online presence i think though is not caring what people think about you Um, yeah yeah you know kind of keeps you real yeah ignore a lot of it then it disappears from your feed and then when everyone says oh have you heard the latest drama if you're like me you're thinking well what was that I didn't see yeah. it I didn't hear it and I've got this safe little corner and I'm quite happy there I don't yeah. know I used to be quite fascinated I mean I'm still quite fascinated by keeping up with what's going on but I don't know what's going on anymore <laughs> I don't uh-uh. know what most people are talking about no I will <laughs> <laughs> I mean sometimes I'll say oh yeah that's that's about or you'll see something and think what are they on about and then I will have a look and and see and I'll see these other like tweets mimicking the first one or I don't know but generally I haven't got a clue if I'm honest I don't know Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't either I used to because I used to be on social media all the time but um now it's like it'll Somebody usually it's in a DM that I'll that I'll discover things now. Somebody will say, "Oh man, the scandal going on now! Can you believe that?" Uh, yeah, yeah. What? What? It goes in the <laughs> <Google>. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I don't care about that stuff. Looks it up. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to say that I don't care about that stuff, but there is a part of me, quite a big yep. part, that really is interested in that stuff so if I'm feeling particularly strong-minded I'll say oh what's all this about and then as long as it's not about like um like in the last sort of couple of months or so I've just said to myself you can't look at anything too heavy like Mm -hmm. you feel I feel guilty because I want to like I say I want to be supportive to people and do what I can but at the same time if I'm in a constant state of <laughs> anxiety and stress, then I'm not going to be any good to anyone. So I, I try and avoid anything too serious now. But if there's something daft, like, oh, so-and-so said they didn't like kittens and everyone yeah. got angry <laughs> about it, then, yeah, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yes. <laughs> Thinking about how judgmental people are, you you actually sort of deal with that in another of your stories in the collection, the last chance in a party. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I would I would hate to be there. 
what inspired that one? Did you ever watch Come Dine With Me? Oh my God, I watched Come Dine With Me, yeah. I do, <laughs> I do watch Come Dine With Me when I'm not on a diet, because when I'm on a diet, then it makes me very sad. But if I'm not on a diet, then I will watch it. Um, but yeah, and I like my experience. I've had enjoyable dinner parties and actually you know so I haven't got anything against them but for me it's like more of a social like I have I have really bad kind of social anxiety Mm -hmm. and so it does you know it does kind of feel like you're being judged a Mm. lot sometimes but like I've also got um I also really have like a favorite subgenre of um like film like horror film whatever which is dinner parties going really wrong like <laughs> I don't know if you've seen <laughs> the invitation or um mm-hmm. the science fiction one where they see another house that looks exactly the same as theirs and it's called oh is that night of the comet or oh it was I'll look it up. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I think it, it's not collateral. It's something like collateral. It's yeah. into the sea, I'm pretty sure. Oh, is it cohesion? Is oh, that it? Oh, that could, that could be it, yeah. yeah. I'll look yeah. it up. A hell of a movie, though. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was very, it was very good, yeah. So I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just really scared of dinner parties, but... <laughs> If you had a, a dinner party, who would you invite? Oh my would God. be your ideals? Um, be dead. My husband and my best friend. <laughs> and right. Probably that's it. <laughs> Any of your Russians? Yeah, I could say all of these famous people, but I wouldn't know what to say. It's like I'd love to meet Dorothy Parker, but I know that she would hate me just because of what she's what she was like you know she didn't really like people and I'd like to sort of meet her and and, and talk to her but mm-hmm. at the same time I'd probably get really upset so <laughs> I just <laughs> have a dinner party with with Bill he's my yeah that'll do <laughs> what about you Steph yeah actually I, I was thinking about that earlier because I thought if I ask a question like this they're just going to turn it back on me I've been reading a lot more history non-fiction recently and also thinking about how so much of it is told from the male perspective. You don't really hear the women's voices at the time and what they went through. So I thought I'd like to get a table together and you'd have Lady Jane Grey. Hmm. You'd have Matilda, who was Henry the First's daughter, um, but she's never actually crowned. You'd have Boudicca. Then you'd have Margaret Reed, who was the witch burned by um, Matthew Hopkins and then Mary Wollstonecraft and I'd love them all to oh, yeah. talk about the reality of what it was like being a woman at those times and hearing their points of view and their reason for how history happened as it did I know a lot of it isn't their their fault well yeah weren't given the tools to deal with things at the time you know women weren't allowed to be educated or or yeah. have jobs yeah. if they were of a certain status but um yeah I'd like I'd like to hear their view of what happened to women at that time and how they felt about it back then. Yeah, Mary Wollstonecraft would be brilliant. I, I read a book actually, which was about Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley, mm. and I think was it by Hallie Rubenhold, I think. And that was really good. Like I got so into it. Like um, mm. I was going, oh 
Percy, you. <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really felt for Mary Shelley in that relationship. I really did. Um, but actually, Hall I think Hallie Rubenhold did another book about um, the five women or canonical women that Jack the Ripper killed. Oh, I read that. That was brilliant. It's really good. It's really good and actually really eye-opening because it, the bit, it really gave me shivers when I thought of, like, he didn't target sex workers. He targeted sleeping women. Mm -hmm. and homeless. Yeah, homeless. Yeah, homeless women and that uh, one was in a house and she was asleep. Mm -hmm. He Obviously, it was just because they were an easy target. Yeah. Like, you're not going to think I'm only going to murder sex workers. Like, obviously, mm. I don't know how a murderer thinks, but you would no. assume that they would just go for whoever was there and easy. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and and I've, I've always been intrigued by that particular one because it's kind of like, but the theory that, you know, four of them were killed to mask the fact that one of them was the target um, yeah. has has always fascinated me. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a book I read recently about Jack the Ripper. I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it. I think he's the director of With Nail and I. There's some link in there. And he went into it and he said who he thought Jack the Ripper was. Yeah. And it's all to do with the Masons. And yeah. the way he explained it all, it was all perfectly feasible. And I actually came out at the end of that thinking, oh, yeah, he's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like um, Alan Moore's book, which I really enjoyed as well. Um, was, what was Alan Moore's book called again? They made a film of it, which was really bad. Um, oh, my God, I can't remember it. De uh, hell something, something. Oh, God. Oh, I know the one you mean. I can't think <laughs> of From Hell. Yes. Is that from hell yeah right. yeah signature that was what the letter was uh signed that was supposed to be from jack the ripper to the police but mm. they think it was a reporter um but yeah that was going on about the masons and it's interesting but i mm. i mean occam's razor it it was probably just a guy who was targeting sleeping women mm -hmm. yeah but that really brought it back to the women, didn't it? That was yeah, because we all get so, not obsessed, but that group has almost become this glamour figure in a way that everybody yeah. writes about, everybody reads about, and the victims are by the by. It's yes, mm. and that was something I loved about the book. Was it really told you a lot about how uh, how yeah. Victorian women lived and the expectations on them and uh, what they had to go through and oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, um, like, you know, Green River Killer, same thing. It, it, that's yeah. much, much more modern, but everybody who ever tells that story tells the story of the killer. Um, yeah. But he killed more than 40 women that they know of, you know, possibly, mm. possibly hundreds of women. Mm. Um, and it was the same thing. It wasn't because they, they were almost all prostitutes, but that wasn't why. Mm -hmm. You know, that was it's it was that's who was there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, out, and he could disappear them and people wouldn't question yeah, where they people, went. You know, people don't care about them, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. it's just homeless people, sex workers, you know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. that's um, yeah. 
and really, I mean, it's not like anybody ever really said, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a hooker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. I uh, yeah, I won't get started too much. I have, feel very strongly about women's issues, and I live in a city where women are, you know, especially those women are treated very, very poorly. Mm. And um, I get really angry with people, like when you walk into the little court, little store on the corner, and someone says, "Ah, nah, I'm not worried about her. She's just a whore or something like that." Yeah. When they and rude to some woman who just left or something and it's like yeah but she's a person you yeah. know there's somebody in there she didn't choose to be that person <laughs> you know? yeah i know you, you do what you can don't you yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah. um one thing i saw that disturbed me the other day it was a coloring book for of serial killers <laughs> yeah i saw that i, I saw it, someone shared it i think on on twitter and i thought how on any planet can you do that? That's but, you know, it's like it's completely separate to what they've done. It's just, yeah. oh, I've got no I tell you what, I got a, um, I got a book. Oh, you know, when you get like a package and it's and it has books and mm-hmm. um, other like trinkets in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got one of that this was a while ago, and it had a T-shirt. And I thought, oh, that looks cool. It's really Victorian. And then I realised that it was H. H. Holmes <laughs> and an advert, and an advert for his uh, the hotel. The hotel. And now I now use it as my hair dye T-shirt because <laughs> I, don't, I do not feel comfortable wearing that thing outside. <laughs> um. But you see a lot of that. I had a friend who um, I ended up distancing myself from who was just fascinated. I mean, to the point of being a fan, you know, that, you know, someone says, oh, my favorite serial killer is it's like you have a favorite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that they make them sound too cool. Uh Uh-huh. Jack the Ripper, um, Mm -hmm. the Yorkshire Ripper, you know. Yeah. Bible John, they need to call them Peter the Dickhead, or sorry, I can't, mm. probably can't say that. Can I? Or, well, um, have you heard my? Have you heard how I talk? <laughs> You're fine. Kind of, yeah. Um, Jack the Pranuk. That's quite good. You know, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Lonely John instead of Bible John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, they had they do that. I mean, even if you look go back to early outlaws in in um, America, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Billy the Kid and yeah. you know um, Bonnie and Clyde and Pretty Boy Floyd and Wild I mean, Bill Hickok. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. these were actually killers. Yeah, you true. Know? Yeah. But um, but when I was a little boy, even teachers made you fans of them. Yeah. You know. Telling you the all all the stories and they'd have stars in their eyes about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they were early celebrities, I suppose. I tell you what, talking of um, weird celebrities, the thing that I found really fascinating was it was like um, this was like an early sort of reality celebrity, I suppose. But one of the guys who survived um, the Donna party. 
you know where they had they had to eat people mm-hmm. um when they were trailing across the prairie Is it the, i don't know he would he became famous for going around different places and describing what it was like to eat <laughs> someone <laughs> so that's like, it just shows like we've as a species always been quite tasteless and quite morbid like, yeah we will venerate like the grossest stuff it's you know uh it is pretty amazing and we're all three horror writers sitting here talking about how morbid people are yeah yeah i know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that guy fascinates me i kind of yeah. want to mm-hmm. look more into him i think yeah i was just going to go back to that dinner party thing just completely changing the subject again you asked me and you you give yours as well maddie but we haven't asked shane who he'd have for dinner pardon we haven't asked Shane who he'd like to have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. As guests rather than food, shall we say? Yeah. Right. I can't. I, you know, um, yeah, that's not not acceptable in my household. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, honestly, what I think would be the ultimate thing, because I'm, uh, very socially anxious you know if i were to have get dinner guests it would be me and my wife and you know my friend (laughs) my friends um at at the most you know and a perfect dinner party is me and a glass of whiskey and a freaking taco or something you know (laughs) that sounds amazing actually but the yeah honestly i would like I'd love to sit at a bar and have a cocktail with Edgar Allan Poe and Dorothy Parker. And, yeah, you know, that would people. go horribly wrong, but it would be a very interesting night, wouldn't it? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I think Dorothy Parker and I kind of have an equal hatred of people for the most yeah. part. I think we, we, we would enjoy each other's company just for the ability to trash talk everyone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they're both raging alcoholics as well. Yes, they are. Definitely interesting. <laughs> so yeah i think but honestly if i were to have somebody it would be so it would be probably somebody like clive barker or jack ketchum or someone that i could you know sit and pick their brains about the brilliance that um they brought to the genre and you know, yeah so, yeah i'd probably invite daniel harms because um he had quite a sad ending as a Russian dissident in a prison just for writing weird stuff. So mm-hmm. I'd invite him just so that he didn't have to die in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually unfamiliar with Daniel Harms until this conversation. And then I looked him up when you mentioned him and uh, I'm intrigued. Oh, <laughs> his stuff's actually, um, I, I mentioned Oh, I mentioned him on that uh, coloring live stream that you watched as well. I think, yeah. I, yeah. Um, there's a good uh, radio episode that um, Tim Key did, who's um, like a comedy poet, um, satirical writer person as well. Um, and he did a good episode on the radio about Daniel Harms. Um, and you should listen to it. It's very informative. OK, I will. Yeah, good. Yeah. A new author for me as well, but I am going to look him up now. So I, 
I do have a soft spot for Russian literature. Yeah. <laughs> usually of the gloomy kind, and it's usually great big thick books, but surprisingly, yeah. I've tried to. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I do love the gloomy Russian stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I think the um, I think Daniel Harms and um, you know the other absurdists are there's it's more mischief than anything. I think I think that's what I love about them is the mischief and yeah. uh, let's see how strange and silly we can make something. So yeah. yeah. That's how I think of when I think of like um, Terry Pratchett. That's what I always loved about him is he's so mischievous, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I same here, and I still have like half of his work to read, and I'm holding off because once I'm done. You know how that goes. Yeah, I used, to, I used to get his latest would be my Christmas book. Same. It was each year, and then when he passed, and I thought, what am I going to do now? You know, yeah. it, it all stopped. And I think there's about half a dozen books I don't own. I've got to get. I've read some of them, but I've read most of his work now. But I, I just love it. He's, he just, it just seems to be so easy for him to write. That's, mm-hmm. Humor. It's, it's, oh, I was jealous. Oh, it's just amazing. I used to wake my wife up in the middle of the night, laying there in bed, three o'clock in the morning, laughing my ass off at some of the stuff. <laughs> I, was like, I did so, that. Sorry. When I was reading Bob Mortimer's book, um, uh-huh. I'd be asleep. It would be like because I wake up at like a really weird time, and then I write, and then I come back to bed for a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, so it'd be like five in the morning or something and I'm laughing at um, some anecdote <laughs> of Bob Mortimer's while Bill's trying to get sleep in before work. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys uh, do the, do you guys do this thing? I was talking to someone yesterday about this very thing um, where like we're just what we were just talking about running out of a particular a favorite author's works um, like uh I saved the last three of um, Clive Barker's novels that I haven't read until this year. I just started the first of the three a few days ago um, because I get ridiculously, ridiculously sad when I read the last book of a favorite author. And there's <laughs> nothing else left, you know. <laughs> um, does it? No, but I just feel I do feel sad. Yeah. There's a gap that opens then, like a, a void, you know, and you search for somebody <laughs> else, but it's, they can't, you know, they can't be replaced. So. Yeah. I mean, I do wish that, um, I don't know, for example, Leonora Carrington had managed to write more stuff. But I mean, but she had a very interesting <laughs> life story, but I wish that she'd been more kind of recognised and appreciated at the time that she was doing it, you know, and, you know, uh, her and Kafka and, and various people, I wish that there was more stuff of, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have anyone like that, Steph? What? That you wish there was more stuff more of? of? Well, Terry Pratchett, I just wish you yeah. all yeah. Did um, you see the abominable snow baby? At Christmas? Oh, I saw a bit of it. I missed it. <laughs> It was so cute. I cried at how cute it was. <laughs> I saw, saw the end bit. It was adorable. 
yeah. I don't I don't know about other writers in general. I think Terry Pratchett is the one. Yeah. I I would just keep buying forever. But yeah, the others no. I don't I I don't I, yeah, I don't know, but Pratchett, Terry Pratchett. So, well yeah we have to do that at least once every episode so <laughs> I, i'd like to think of it as a comfortable silence but it's yeah. actually it's yeah. just very awkward, oh, it's <laughs> awkward. I have a really important question now okay i saw a tweet the other day from you maddie saying you were hiding in the loo because you'd suggested that you oh, yeah think of a story so what i want to know how long were you in there? Did you think of a story and did you actually end up cleaning the bathroom while you were there? <laughs> well, I had only just cleaned the bathroom before our friend came around, so unfortunately I didn't have that excuse. All right. But um I I think I was in there for like a good ten minutes thinking, I can't go out with nothing, this was my idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um I did come up with a story and actually the other two said that they thought it was very good. So because um, Bill went first and his was just funny, like they always just end up funny. And then uh, I, th- I think me and my friend Weaven actually put genuine, you know, effort into it. And actually his <laughs> gave me a bit of a chill and they seemed to kind of they made very appreciative sounds when I told mine. So. It was just a basic ghost story, you know, but I was quite, it, it did for the time, you know. Yeah. So it's your version of um, Mary Shelley and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I like doing that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's right. I've done that a few times. Like if, if there's um, like a, I don't know, on a new year or, or like an event, you know, then I'll suggest that we try and scare each other. <laughs> there was something else that I can't remember. I've made an oh here we are. Some note I made of something that that you'd watched. Oh, you watched a hippie folk documentary um, <laughs> about Harold's Edith and their poetry and rituals and things. Yeah. And the way you described it, because my notes are rubbish here, it sounds just like the thing that I'd like to watch. Yes. So what where, what is it and where can I find it? Okay, well, um, there's an add-on on Prime for BFI. Yeah. Um, so there's loads of stuff on there. Um, it, you have to have Prime. Yeah, I've got Prime. Um, yeah, get the BFI add-on. Yeah. Um, I really cannot remember the name of that documentary now. Oh. Um, it was Edith's. Edith something. It was Edith's sock. No, not song. Edith's. It said sock. Just put Edith in the search and I'm sure it will come up. But uh, yeah, no, I think you'll probably like it. Yeah. What sort of rituals did they have in 1066 then? Um, So they, because of the time of that she was around it was just talking about like um you know the cunning women and and stuff from the yeah. era you know like herbal things and mm. uh you know like folk stuff 
<laughs> Actually, that's the thing. Right, can I ask you, growing up in Britain, okay, so my husband, Bill, thinks that I grew up in a folk horror because <laughs> we, <laughs> we did the Maypole and we celebrated harvest. We would gather stuff for the harvest and for the different... Um, like seasonal things and and stuff like that we would like make these um you know like kid kids stuff like leaves and pictures and, and things like that um but is that something that you did because he he thinks that's really strange but I suppose it depends on where you you grew up but did you used to do stuff like that like the maypole and well, the maypole, yeah, the maypoles, they did that at the village school that I was in. Um, it was a little village in the middle, well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Shropshire. Mm. And they, they did, they'd have the maypole and you'd have your may queens and things like yeah. that. Um, there was, things, we didn't make too many things. We made turnip jack-o'-lanterns instead of pumpkins. And mm. I mean, the pub I lived in, it was farmers all the time. Yeah. They were our main customers. Um, so you just went with the sea. It was just a very rural way of life. You'd hear some stories, but there weren't so many mm. rituals as such. But there are things you talk about, Cora, and the things I saw around me, you know, you'd have the moles or the crows that were the dead ones that were strung up along fences to keep other animals away. And mm-hmm. I know on the on the walls in the pub, in you know, my parents' pub, there would be the traps that uh, were used by poachers or whatever we even mm-hmm. had a crossbow on the wall as well these were all made safe by the way they were stuck up yeah yeah animals or a, a fox's brush or, or something all the sorts mm-hmm. of things that people would object to now but it's all very much rural life so you just yeah for it and accepted it because life and death is all part of the cycle of things mm-hmm. in the countryside so I think it's just where he went to school and grew up was just very town e. Mm. So he maybe that is weird to him. <laughs> to me, it's like it wasn't weird. Yeah, uh, it sounds to me like you just described perfect settings for folk horror novels. So I've yeah. got to agree with your husband on that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, but I grew up in a big city and also America, you know. Rural rural America is very strange too, but mostly because yeah. of uh, the extreme religion and uh, yeah. yeah. But um um yeah. We've I, got uh, a good museum, like um you know th- th- there's a lot of stuff like because Essex was where they had the big witch trials, um, like mm-hmm. Matthew Hopkins, obviously mm-hmm. Sussex and Essex were particularly um heavily involved in that and that was like 50 years before salem the salem Mm -hmm. trials which i always find really interesting because that was essex Mm -hmm. where um uh matthew hopkins uh did his thing and then i think weren't weren't a lot of the people who went over to salem from a a similar sort of area so like they were puritans as Mm -hmm. well um so i just find i find it really interesting that the same like that it just basically happened again you know but in a completely different country Mm -hmm. 
Um, I do too, and and horrifying too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, the the that's kind of like the the extremist uh, anti anti feminist approach, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how i feel about it but um it is fascinating though yeah that they literally repeated almost the same exact thing but it also doesn't get talked about i mean salem is the one you know people talk about the witch hunts and witch burnings and things like that and they forget Mm -hmm. that uh the uk had a pretty violent history of that sort of thing you know because like in colchester uh, which is not that far from here, is Colchester Castle is um, a very interesting place to go. It's like a museum now, really. But um, they had that as a prison. And you go and mm-hmm. you look at it and you look at like where they were kept and the size of the jails and how many women were crammed into one spot. And um, it's, oh God, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeping women in their place. Mm. Yeah, I think now we're where we are, we're sort of North Wales, but we're not far from the north of England. So I'm hoping to get up to Pendle soon because of the Pendle Witches. Oh, yes, well. the Pendle Witch, yeah. Have a, look, have a look around there. And it's it's a fascinating history, but again, it's a bit like Jack the Ripper. You've got this figure who takes the whole yeah. story. So now you've got the Salem Witches and mm. all these other poor women are... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. That like I'm interested in. I'm interested in the fact that it happened there, and then just 50 years later mm-hmm. happened somewhere completely different. You know, but um, I'm interested in. I'm interested in the women, the who it mm-hmm. happened to, and and Hopkins just sounds like a knob. <laughs> it just sounds yeah. Like awful. <laughs> um. Yeah. No kidding. Um. It's kind of like uh, some of the greatest atrocities in history, I think, were committed by men because of women that they were afraid of. Think about like Joan of Arc and, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so. that, um, what's that silent film called? I really recommend it if you haven't seen it, which you probably have, but... Um, Oh God! What's it? it's a French silent film and it's called The Passion of Joan of Arc, which if you haven't seen mm. it, you have to. It's very very good. <laughs> this is why we do this show because we get lists of books and films and things. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's like the the girl playing um, Joan of Arc. She's so mm-hmm. intense. She's amazing. Now, may I ask, um, just out of sheer nosiness, because I'm a musician whose guitars are hanging on your wall behind you? <laughs> um, that's Bill. He does music. Um, uh-huh. He's a graphic designer, and he, he did a, a lot of painting, but he's partially mm-hmm. sighted, and he's kind of struggling with doing big paintings more now. So mm-hmm. he sort of switched to music, um, and he does stuff as Bill Bat. So uh-huh. Cool. I will shill for him. Uh, I think he's very good. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's a yeah, it's a passion of mine too. Um, yeah. My first my first art was songwriting and mm. um, playing guitar. So. Yeah. But that's a, it. 
I, I'm not very good at it. I just love to do it. <laughs> yeah. He plays piano and, and stuff, and he does sort of electronic, but he uses instruments as well. Yeah. Uh, depending on what he thinks sounds good. He used to, when he was really a lot younger, he used to be in a prog rock band. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was when they used to smoke a lot of weed and they would yeah. play in a pub and a song. I think they said that one song went on for about 20 minutes or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, that's an interesting life too. I yeah. did that for a while when I was younger, but I had no willpower. So I had to stop because I, uh, I developed pretty serious drug problems. So I had to separate myself from the, from the scene, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, know when you're you know, mm-hmm. look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're an addictive personality, the music scene is a really bad yeah. place for you to be. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Did you I don't know if this is probably something that might bore you, but I watched um, that really long Beatles thing recently. Um, get back. Um, oh, yeah. I actually like I wouldn't I'm not like a huge Beatles fan or anything like that I mainly watched it because having social anxiety means that I don't get to sort of I loved watching people and who who hadn't uh, who had known each other for a really long time so they weren't putting up any sort of um, social pretense or something if they were annoying each other they just said and I found the group dynamics aspect of it really interesting so yeah, I find people uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I do too. And I, and like you said, that group, particular group dynamic is appealing in that I wish everybody was that way. Just yeah, you yeah. know, because yeah. because you know what you're you know what you're getting. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, there was one bit that I actually called Bill in to look, and it was the bit where Paul was reading. Um, an article from the newspaper that was talking about how they were going to break up and they none of them were really talking and John got annoyed with him reading it so he started to play the guitar and sing over his reading but Paul was not going to give up and so he just got louder and more bitter (laughs) 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 it was just a mess of noise that's hilarious um young men but i think too it was kind of uh their their honesty kind of caused them to be one of those rare bands that quit when they should have yeah. honestly um, yeah yeah instead of know. dragging it out and mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't working anymore yeah Yep, and um, they had recently just released the best music of their career shortly before they, you know, did yeah. that. Like, yep, that's a good time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, go out on a, on a high. Yeah. 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 So, um, what's next for Madeline Swan, the novel? Well, obviously. I, I'm hoping that this collection of stories... Mm-hmm. well i'd i mean i'd love to be nominated for a wonderland award again i don't know if that will happen but if it does mm-hmm. that would be very nice um 
I just want people to read it. You know, that's that's mm. the, that's all any writer wants, really. I just want people yeah. to read it. Mm. And also this um, book that I'm doing at the moment is really important to me because I'm kind of putting everything in it. I think like it's obviously it's still a, a weird story. Um, I can't not do that. <laughs> it just comes out that way. But it also has a lot of stuff um, that I mean, stuff that I went through, but still fictional. So it's not mm -hmm. like how it happened or anything. Right. But, um, I'm kind of putting everything in it and I'm hoping that it will be a really big, I mean, not not famous big, but yeah. the thing that I will say, yes, that's the thing that I did that I'm really proud of. That's that's what I mean. What time frame have you got for this one? Um, I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get it done. Well, I want to get it done in this new year. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm just going to see how long that takes me. I'm not really going to kind of enforce a specific thing on this one because I don't want to rush it and I want it to come out how I want it to come mm -hmm. out. Um, so I'm just going to say I hope it will be finished this year. Yeah. And that's it yeah. really. Just, just having read your collection, it is. I will definitely be getting that. Oh, good. Having a read, you sort of gradually pulled me into the cause of the <laughs> absurd a little bit more. <laughs> oh good, I'm pleased about that, that's what I want. I want yeah. more people to discover the weird bits of their brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there's so many presses out there that you can do that with, uh, Eraserhead yeah. Press. Um, yeah. God, I'm dropping the ball on that one. I had names in my mind, but I come up. Press. Yeah. Uh, yeah. one that sharp end of the rainbow is coming out with um yeah there's there's a lot um, mm -hmm. um rooster republic is one yes. um um and their sub their imprint i can't remember the name of it that uh sarah tantlinger but that's more of a women's horror now line yeah. that you, you mm -hmm. um but yeah there's so many good ones yeah that's strange Strange House, wasn't it? For, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Strange yeah. House, yeah. Uh, she keeps rejecting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they, they're the ones who published Andrew James Stone, I think. I'm not sure about that, though. No, no. But anyway, um, some that's somebody you should read, too, if you haven't. He's brilliant. Okay, yeah, I will. Um, i tell you what I would really love, what, one major ambition of mine. I mean, this is like, you know pie in the sky sort of thing but i'd love to get a short story on the drabblecast podcast because <laughs> um, they've had some great stuff on there i think one of my uh, uh favorite short stories on there is um and i've forgotten the name really good start um which is called what is that called Can, do you mind if I, have i got time to look it up i just yeah <laughs> sorry i just can't say this is my favorite story and then not know the <laughs> I'm so terrible about that. Um, the author of my favorite book. Uh, uh, have uh, a clue. 
we've all been like that this evening now, haven't we? So it's just normal. <laughs> yeah. But I'm the I'm also that author who forgets the names of his own work. What's the name of that poem? Yeah, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, someone says, "What's your book called?" I don't know. Can't remember. <laughs> and I don't know where it is. But it's uh, it's something about going on a bus and everyone being really overly enthusiastic mm-hmm. about what they're going to see at the end of this bus journey, and everyone's singing and happy. And the main character's like, I I don't understand. And then they get to, it's, I think it's like jelly, the Jelly Factory or something. I can't remember. They get to, yeah, it's just this really, really boring looking thing. And uh, with, with jelly at the other end, like a factory. And everyone's like, this is amazing. And the main character just decides, you know, I'm just going to go along with it and <laughs> get involved. And then they become very happy because they just... Uh, decide that they're going to be just as excited as everybody else and it doesn't make sense but it's really good (laughs) um it sounds like fun to me yeah (laughs) but uh i think we're well i am you guys can keep talking if you want i'm just about out of time (laughs) okay yeah no that's fine um um do you have uh more stuff that you wanted to ask no, the main thing was about the, the novel that you were working on. Um, but I'm just going to have to wait for that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, your collection, I really, really enjoyed it. And Ditto. That was good. And I'll, I'll keep pushing that. And, good. yeah, Thank I'll you look out for your work in future. Uh, more, please. More kittens on next. And, yes. <laughs> more kittens this season. Yeah. And I was delighted to see also that this is first short story collections tend to run somewhere between 100 and 150 pages. And this one runs closer to 300. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, (laughs) um, And well worth every page of it. Oh, good. I'm really pleased about that. Thank you. That's nice. So, um, yeah. Madeline Swan, um, thank you for being here. Uh, it's a lovely conversation, and we'd love to have you back again. Thank you. Um, yes, I enjoyed that very much. Uh, keep keep doing what you do um, online and with your words, and um, we will uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks very much. Thank Everybody you. check out Madeline's work. Um, and uh, I guess that's it. Sorry. I had something, but I, I lost it. <laughs> yes, read, read my things. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night, Madeline. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>